Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to the Song of Solomon. We'll look at uh, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And the text is also printed in the bulletin on the next page. Uh, Today for Easter, uh, we're taking a break from Ecclesiastes. We're skipping over just to the next wisdom book, the wisdom literature section of the Bible. Looking at the the last... uh, chapter, a couple of verses from Song of Songs. Uh, we did a brief series on this book in 2015. It's a long time ago now. And uh, it's one of my favorite uh, series that, that uh, I've gotten to preach, <clears throat> especially these verses. Uh, I think these are some of my favorite from the Song of Solomon. As, as you might have suspected, though, uh, coming to church on Easter Sunday, uh, we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about the, the resurrection this morning. Um, life and death and resurrection, this is all very serious stuff. It doesn't get more serious than this. Uh, you've all had friends and family who have died, some of us uh, recently. Our parents die. Uh, our children die. Our wives and our husbands die. We die. We're a dying people. None of us are exempt. The hardest part about it is the loss of those relationships with our parents, with our children, with our friends and family. Death separates us. Death tears us apart from the beloved. We acknowledge that reality when we enter into marriage, that most important relationship that you could have uh, in this world. We make the promise to have and to hold and to love each other till death do us part. Till death do us part. And when that happens, when one spouse dies, when the beloved is gone... When death does us part, the marriage ends. Even that great relationship, it ends. The relationship is over. Death ends our relationships. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, that's not good enough. God won't stand for death to just come and ruin all our relationships, especially not our relationship with himself. He makes the promise to have and to hold and to love us forever. And the death and resurrection of his son guarantees that our love story won't have that, it doesn't have that terrible final clause till death do us part. So let's talk about that this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we want to hear the words of life from you this morning. Resurrection life, eternal life in relationship with you that never ends. So we pray that you would open our ears to hear by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the bride's words in the song. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Song of Solomon is theology. It's theology in the form of poetry. So on the face of it, this is like uh, an exchange of poetic love letters between a man and a woman, between a bridegroom and his bride. But it's not just that, because this book is in the Bible, which means it's ultimately about Jesus. The relationship between God and his people, between Christ and the church, it's often pictured in the Bible 
by the relationship between a bridegroom and a bride, a husband and a wife. This love song is called the Song of Solomon, that great king and son of David. Well, Jesus is the greater King Solomon. He's the royal son of David. He's the bridegroom come down from heaven, and the church is his bride. The scriptures make that clear over and over again. And the, the, the story of the whole Bible is the story of our union with him, the union of this heavenly bridegroom with his bride. Sure, it isn't made explicit in the song itself that this is what it's about, but what do you expect? It's poetry. Nothing is straightforward in poetry. Uh, but we can hear the Song of Solomon casting our special union with God in the most intimate terms of longing and desire and knowing and delight. And here, <clears throat> at the height of the poetic vision, as the love song comes to this great crescendo at the end of uh, the Song of Songs, we hear the bride's voice touching on the single greatest threat to our union, and that's death. And so death threatens to mar all the beauty of this love song. Death threatens to dismantle all the security of our relationships. Death threatens to abolish any significance that we might find in love and relationships. In the Bible, death is the great enemy. It's the final enemy that has a claim on all of us. Ultimately, that's something that we've brought upon ourselves through our rebellion against the God of life and love in the beginning. It says that God assures us that if we choose sin, we'll be choosing death. Which means we're choosing separation from God. Choosing separation from God and from each other. We'd be choosing, if we choose sin, we're choosing death, and we'd be choosing the end of all good relationships. But now, death is something beyond our choice. We chose it in the beginning, and I think we still choose it on a daily basis, unfortunately. But death is something beyond our choice. It's a tyrant. It strips everything away from us, and we're helpless before it. Maybe you think you have some choice in the matter of your death. Maybe you've got grand plans. Maybe you think you can control death to some degree or go out on your own terms, right? Death with dignity and all that. Respectfully, if you think that way, you're fooling yourself. Because if you could control death, you would choose not to die. And you don't have that choice. You have no choice in the matter. Death is stronger than your will. Death is stronger than your will to live. Death will rob you of everyone that you love, and that won't be pretty. And that's what the bride is afraid of here. That's what every bride, every groom, every one who loves is afraid of. The main thing that's so threatening about death, it isn't the pain of the process of your heart coming to a stop. The main threat about death is not the end of your conscious existence. Death's main threat is that it will end love. Death's main threat is that it will end relationship. That's what death is in the Bible, first and foremost. It's the end of your relationship with the God of life and love. Uh, Jesus says in John 17 that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. And when the scriptures use the language of knowing, it's the personal, intimate kind of knowing, the way a bridegroom knows his bride, if you know what I mean. 
It's the, the knowledge of delighted union. That's what eternal life is, the knowledge of this delighted union, living with God forever. <clears throat> this is the kind of life we were made for, to live forever in delighted union with the God of love. And that's the very thing that is brought to an end by death because of our sin. So the bride here calls upon her beloved to save her from this doom, to do away with that terrible final clause that hangs over their union till death do us part. She wants an unquenchable love. She wants a love that burns bright even in the face of death. She wants her beloved. She wants the bridegroom. And she knows that death is looming out there on the horizon and suspects that it has the power to rip him away from her. Death has a claim on her, and death has a claim on us all, but the bride wants there to be this new claim to rival the claim of death over our lives and over our relationships. She wants to lay claim to her beloved, and she wants her beloved to lay claim to her. And for the mutual claim of their love, the mutual claim of their union, to be stronger than death's claim. So she says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So we're the ones who gave death its power, and it has claim on us because of our sin. We've ruined that relationship with God. We've chosen separation from God. But if we want that relationship to be restored, if we want that relationship to survive even death itself, it has to be because the God of life and love commits himself to the relationship in a way that overcomes death. So the bride asks the bridegroom for this kind of love. Belong to me. Be mine and make me yours. And make our union stronger than death. Make me a part of your own identity so that we will always be together, never separated by death. That's what she's asking for. The bride <clears throat> needs the bridegroom. <clears throat> the bride needs the, the bridegroom to set her as a seal on his own heart, on his own arm. Right? So a seal like this kind of language is, it means it's an identifier that establishes belonging. She's asking him, make me a part of who you are in your heart, at the core of your being, on your arm, in the power of your might. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has answered this prayer. He's answered the beloved's prayer. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's God in our flesh. He's God taking our human nature to himself to be his own nature. It's his. And now the Son of God has a human heart, and he has a human arm, and his very heart and his very arm are the seals of his love to us. In Jesus, God has united himself with our humanity in such a way that when he looks at his people, he says, that's me. I'm one of them. I'm one with them. He's our God, and we're his people in mutual belonging, and he'll never forget us. He'll never forsake us. As he says in Isaiah, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's going to leave a mark. That mark's never going to go away. 
He has made us a part of his own identity. He is God with us. And he'll never stop being God with us. Even death could not separate us from him. Jesus, the beloved bridegroom, he died on the cross. And his bride began to grieve the inevitable loss that every bride must grieve. It's this inevitable thing. You, you grieve the loss of your loved ones. And the bride, the church, began to grieve the inevitable loss of Jesus, the beloved bridegroom. But our grief was interrupted like Mary Magdalene's grief was interrupted in the garden when she met the risen Lord. Our grief was interrupted. It was cut off. Our grief was transformed by his resurrection. His resurrection was more inevitable than his death. Think about that. His resurrection was more inevitable than his death because his love is stronger than death. And now the risen Lord Jesus lives bearing our humanity in his own person forever. He didn't give up our humanity. He still has his human nature. He rose from the dead bodily. So we're inconceivably close to his heart. We are his heart. Still, even on the other side of death, and we always will be. Jesus cannot be himself without us. The incarnate Son of God cannot be who he is without us, his people. And he's the same yesterday and today and forever. There's no changing him. So there's no God without humanity. Never will be. There's no Jesus without his people. There's no bridegroom without his bride. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, our union with God is stronger than even death. He has claimed us. And he's given us claim on himself. He's given us claim to his life. And that claim has already been shown to supersede death's claim on us. In the song here... The bride talks about jealousy. Uh, the Bible says that the Lord is a jealous lover. In Exodus 34, uh, it even says that his name is jealous. His name is jealous. That's like a fundamental aspect of his nature. Of the, lo- the nature of the loving God is jealousy. Right? We're not talking about a paranoid, suspicious lover. We're talking about a divine bridegroom with a rightful claim to his bride. Who will not allow that union to be violated by anything. We're not talking about paranoid suspicion when we say jealousy. So his jealousy is fierce as the grave. You think the grave clings fiercely and won't let go of those who go down to it. The Lord jealous won't share his bride with any other. He will have us and he will hold us and he will love us. No till death do us part about it. Death couldn't hold Jesus because, and because we're united to him, it can't hold us. <clears throat> so uh, Nicholas Cabasilas, uh 14th century uh, Greek theologian, I think, <clears throat> said, said that your union with Jesus, your union with Jesus is closer than what joins you to yourself. Think about that. This is one of the ways the Apostle Paul talks about what, what happens at death in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, yes, we're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So you can be separated from your own body, but you can never be separated from the Lord. Your union with Jesus is closer than what joins you to yourself. And because the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead bodily, because the one to whom you're united is himself, the resurrection and the life, you also will be raised with him. So again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 
We believe and speak and know that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So I heard this uh, interview the other day. uh, A fellow named Jonathan Peugeot said this, that in the ancient world, you had this idea of gods that went down to the underworld. They, they either went down for some reason to visit or went down to save somebody even or, or died and rose again. But that's not actually the story of Christ. Because Christ died, went into Hades, and then destroyed death. And he pulls everybody out of death. And then that's it. What other story are you going to tell after that? Athanasius said in the 4th century, he put on a body so that in the body he might find death and blot it out. And actually the Bible says that death is still the last enemy to be destroyed. Right? It hasn't been quite fully destroyed yet, as should be evident to all of us who have lost loved ones, who are marching toward death ourselves. But Jesus has already wrestled death into submission so that it must serve him. Death serves the Lord. The risen Lord Jesus has made death to serve resurrection. So now death is not the terrible end that we've feared. Because of the Lord's resurrection, we sing triumphantly. We're going to sing in a few minutes. Death is now but my entrance into glory. This is the blessed truth, beloved. This is what Jesus has done for us in his love. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it really well. I should have thought in advance about this and put it in as our confession of faith. Sorry, but uh, Heidelberg Catechism number 45. The question is, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? It's not just something remote in the annals of history. How does it benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to a new life, new life with God in relationship with God. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Jesus lives, and so shall we. The most wonderful thing about our blessed resurrection, it isn't just that we'll continue in some conscious existence beyond death. It's that we'll be with Jesus. That's the most blessed thing about our resurrection. We'll be with Jesus because the resurrection of the bridegroom, the bride, will live forever in a delighted union with a God of life and love. We'll have our bridegroom. And we'll have him forever. We get Jesus for eternity. And we also get each other. And the bride uh, here, throughout the book of uh, Song of Solomon and uh, and more largely throughout all the scriptures. The bride is a term for a corporate people. It's not just one person. It's not just you individually, right? It's the corporate people of Christ, which means by the grace of God, death won't be the end of all our relationships. It's not going to be the end of our relationship with God. It's not going to be the end of our relationship with each other. We will be brothers and sisters forever in the presence of the Lord together. Berta's husband, uh, Al, died a few weeks ago. Before he died, Berta was happy to be able to say to him that she would see him again. That's not just wishful thinking. 
Lots of people think that way, lots of people talk that way, but it's not just wishful thinking. This is a beautiful confession of faith in the resurrection. Berta was able to say this to Al, I'll see you again. Because Jesus is raised from the dead and because Jesus is her beloved. Because she's united to Jesus in a love that will survive death. Because of the resurrection, she's going to see Al again. We're all going to see Al again. Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Your dead will live again. That's the power of God. That's the promise of God in Jesus. So when you find yourself staring into that abyss, the abyss of death, watching your loved ones depart into it, or being drawn yourself into the inescapable vortex of it, asking whether there's anybody out there beyond the darkness, whether there's life and love that won't just be ruined by this death, remember this song. Remember the beloved. Remember the risen Lord Jesus and your union with him. His love is strong as death. Amen. Let's pray. Father, the news of the resurrection of your son changes everything about our life with you in this world and the next. We're thankful that it's true. Lord Jesus, you'll never forget us, and you will bring us to be with you where you are. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us to never forget our risen beloved. Help us to live in light of his everlasting life. Teach us how every moment is made new in relationship with you. How even death is made to serve our relationship with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.